Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale a business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Jens, the founder and co-CEO at Cranus Health. Jens, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. Great to be here. A pleasure. And uh, we have almost a story behind recording this uh, this <laughs> podcast then that, that we can that we can share when we have those kind of sessions uh, when we share the the funny stories behind recording uh, episodes True. and shows and, and it, it and was we, it was a lot of back and forth for sure <laughs> to get this thing done. <laughs> and we are here for the community to share your story and this will be an amazing episode for the ones who are following us. And, and for ones who didn't have the opportunity to meet you yet, uh, Jens, let us know a little bit more about you and how did you end uh, starting up Cranus Health? Um, yeah, happy uh, happy to share. Um, yeah, happy to be here. Jens is my name. Um, I guess I've always been kind of in, in the whole, whole healthcare area and I always wanted to start a, a company for... Well, pretty much, uh, yeah, entire life. I kind of started selling stones in my backyard when I was <laughs> a young child. Um, but I guess, you know, what, what led me to found Prano Cells, uh, first of all, it's just like briefly, uh, we'll, I guess we'll talk about it more later, but what we do in, in, in essence is solving man's health issues right. that no one talks about, right? So um, I think uh, my, my story is kind of, I started my career, uh, more than a decade ago uh, as a management consulting with, with McKinsey mm-hmm. um, and was always advising pharmaceutical clients. And what I, um, during that time, I kind of saw lots of, you know, uh, issues with, with uh, you know, little patient centricity in pharma, right? Like lots of drugs get developed in, in labs and like the patient isn't really uh, involved much and there's little way of getting in touch with patients and um Right. Had many other stops, uh, some exciting time also while I worked at Palantir uh, during the pre-IPO times, uh, mm-hmm. uh, definitely also an exciting company. And at that time, we kind of, you know, blended my passion for tech and healthcare because also Palantir does some very really exciting stuff in the area of, of healthcare. Um, and that kind of led me uh, to founding Kranos Health. And I think um what I, for me it was really clear i want to do something with healthcare and i want to do something with tech to really help patients um you know treat treat diseases and lead a better life right and um what i what i saw is that um you know looked at different verticals and what i always saw is that femtech is a very big right. vertical you know on every um DC landscape you have like a big box uh, with lots of femtech companies in it and I think it's great stuff uh, that that these companies do but what I saw is that um almost no one um is doing male tech as I like to call it now I love it um, yeah and that's uh that's how you know given that half of the population on earth is uh, of course also men um uh, and there are many diseases that men suffer from specifically um uh, i decided to do something in that space and i think that's uh what we've been doing since yeah and i can see that uh, when we look to your linkedin your first experience has been as a founder uh as well so then you you move it into management consulting then you have been at a very late stage 
uh, scale up as an executive and, uh, and now starting again your your own company. So you always had, as you said, an entrepreneurial uh, background on yourself and you've been kind of learning, working in other environments, mm -hmm. uh, preparing yourself to, to what would be the idea that you wanted really to yeah. put your ads and art and hands on. Uh, <laughs> that's male tech and, and men's health uh, issues. And I love the slogan, uh, solving men's health issues that no one uh, talks about. So super well done. And, and that's what you use it to present Colonel's health uh, as yeah. well. Yeah. Well, I, I, it, I use it in pitches. I use it really. I think it. I think it's, it's something which describes quite well what we do in essence. Um, and uh, happy to expand on that, of course. But uh, it's what we do. Yeah, and I'm a, kind of a testimonial of that, right? So uh, the majority of our community knows that I have an autoimmune condition that was recently diagnostic, uh, diagnosed, it, and uh, yeah. So typically, it's uh, kind of one in five or. Uh, 25%, I think that's the number uh, of the men are at ultimate conditions. So it's a, it's a condition much more prevalent in, in women. But uh, when it's a man, nobody <laughs> talks about it uh, really? because it's kind of a you women uh, condition. So I can relate to, to the problem that you, that you are uh, approaching here. And which is kind of amazing because you don't have only one product. You have several products to solve different problems across men's health uh, issues. Can you elaborate yeah. a bit more about Kranos Health, yeah. what it is today, what are the products that have been launched? That has yeah. been launched? Yeah, happy to talk to, about that. And uh, let's be clear, I think we, we are on a mission to build many more products. So uh, it's hopefully uh, never going to stop. But the first product um, that we started really with um, is a so so all our products what they have in common um, is that they are digital therapeutics so basically therapies delivered um, on your mobile as an app basically uh, intervention therapies that changes uh, the way uh, you go about your life um, and, um, and and many other aspects right and what we also have in common for all of these therapies that. We're a deeply medical company. So basically, um, we we don't sell products via a D2C or direct uh, to consumer approach. Um, instead, we develop reimbursable therapeutics. So we um, you know, uh, prove that they work with clinical trials, um, really large uh, randomized controlled gold standard trials like every pharmaceutical companies does and then get them into reimbursability so the products are free for patients and are fully reimbursed um, by by the health insurance and our first product which is now basically uh, under full in insurance coverage for 40 million men uh, in germany is in the area of erectile dysfunction uh, which is obviously you know a, a quite uh, uh, widespread disease um, in male health and we were able to show in clinical trials that we can treat erectile dysfunction as well um, as Viagra does. Um, so that's, um, yeah, that's something, uh, you know, we're quite proud of. Um, and um, it's, it's really um, a great uh, therapeutic option for people suffering from right. disease. From the ones who are listening, just a, an overview, because this is not a, a medical uh, podcast, but... Uh, any curiosity about kind of the comparison to those those other solutions as Viagra as you as you mentioned it? 
Is it yeah. a, a more an healthier solution, a better solution, and a more sustainable solution? The the solution that yeah, I think that's exactly uh, yeah. I think you hit, hit hit the nail on the spot, right? So I think um, basically Viagra, there there are pills um, that can treat certain diseases. We try to solve diseases without chemistry, by rather treating the underlying root causes. So it's a long-term fix. Um, in this case, right. it involves pelvic floor exercises. It involves psychotherapeutic exercises awesome. to really um, kind of change the perception, but also change parts of physiology in your body to um, deal deal with these issues better. Right? And I think just right. to give a very brief overview of our second product that's in the area of um, prostate enlargement, which for many uh -huh. men and also leads to... Um, you know, uh, urge incontinence or the, the urge right. to pee a lot during night. Um, yeah. So that is uh, a very, very widespread disease, potentially even bigger than the first one that we're tackling, affecting almost every man above 50. And um, here we can also, again, through basically cognitive behavior therapy, through uh, bladder training, and also pelvic floor exercises, really change uh, the symptoms um, that these people um, suffer from and help them to be better deal um, with that disease. Um, and then the third product, which I can't share too much about yet because it's currently <laughs> in medical development, um, but we're, uh, <laughs> we're very excited about that product. It's um, in, in um, um, cancer, so very basically urology, oncology, the most um, prevalent type of cancer among men is prostate cancer. Um, and obviously we're not able to cure cancer with the digital therapy, but um, what we do here is um, help men who are undergoing um, cancer therapy to better deal with the symptoms that they experience, um, help them um, you know, keep their body uh, uh, fit, and also provide um, a mental support. Um, and there are some recent studies that basically have shown that, um, and I think that's really a quite pivotal and important study that have shown that people who undergo um, uh, cancer therapy, they have a higher, not only do they live better uh, if they get support during that mm -hmm. therapy, but they also right. live longer. So we have a higher rate of survival um, by basically uh, providing better support for men uh, and women in this case uh, that undergo this kind of therapies. Is it correct to mention that I see that you have a much more kind of a functional medicine approach, but of course with uh, with evidence or uh, medical evidence behind it yeah. uh, and in a more more sustainable way, you go to the root cause uh, of the problem and you you work also on making exercises to improve the life of those patients but also working on the psychological uh, reasons behind um, yes are sometimes part of the yeah. causes of, of yes. those effects right and it, those diseases it, it, or conditions exactly exactly yeah I love I love that point. I really believe in uh, that kind of more holistic approach in in the right sense of of, of the point. And I think that's um, what I yeah. love about your approach is that you also are very based on cl clinical trials and kind of proving the impact of what you are preaching. Right. So sometimes those solutions are being attacked because there is no medical mm -hmm. evidence. Yeah. Right? 
But I think yeah. that everyone now is much more open because we are seeing more studies coming and showing that those solutions have a, a much better impact than just send, just giving a pill to the to the to the patient, exactly. expecting that everyone will go away. Yeah, I think it it also fits to the zeitgeist, right? Like people just like kind of wanna, um, you know, we're kind of passing beyond that time where you just swallow a pill for all your issues yeah. and you're still like not, you know, people want to move away from chemistry. Um, I think in many cases, and I, I just want to underline what you said. Indeed, um, clinical studies are super important to, you know, provide objective um, results um, that what we are doing or others are doing is right. making sense. And it also is the prerequisite, which also makes sense for real for insurances to reimburse the therapy, right. because of course um, they want. Um, to spend the money in a way that you know uh, that makes sense yeah. for patients. Yeah, and, and this is a, a also a very good point because then those treatments will be just for a niche that is able to pay for them, and you are not able to democratize the solution to to get into the mainstream, right? So, yeah. and I yeah. see that we have seen in in the health tech uh, category a lot of amazing solutions that unfortunately didn't have the funding or the opportunity to prove uh, their scientific merits and then to be re reimbursed. And unfortunately, they, they needed to, to stop. And, and it seems that you from from the start, you were very uh, careful about proving uh, and and offering to your patients the, the potential for being reimbursed to, to be treated, right? Yeah. Which is exactly. quite, quite important for the democratization. Something super important that we always talk about uh, in, in scale-ups is, is really the importance of focus when we are uh, scaling up. So uh, typically when we see different products, of course we can see the focus and, and you started with that. So men's health issues that no one talks about. So you are always on that category, on that focus. You are not getting out of that focus with, with your products, but still uh, your company has been uh, founded in July of, uh, of 2020, Cranus Health. Uh, and you are almost doing uh, three years uh, at the end of uh, next uh, July, and it's almost one product uh, per year, which is uh, a lot. Can you give us a kind of a conservative view about the focus, about saying that you only should go to multi-product multi growth when you have maybe 10 million in, in revenue and not before that? What, what has yeah. been your your thoughts about it? Uh, so, I mean, I completely agree. For us, focus is super important. And I've always, from the start, kind of, we try to be laser focused um, on, and actually I want to emphasize on one product. From for, for the first two years, we really did, in the end, one product. Now we're expanding, but now we're also a lot bigger. We have more than 70 employees. Um, we have much more capacity to expand. And, the way I think about focus is for me, it's there's always uh, three dimensions in the end. There's uh, the products, there's the channels through which you go to the market, right. and 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 then there's the markets itself or internationalization, right? So, and I think for for the first two years at Kranos, I think the reason why we have been so successful and we have really a a, a perfect track record and have been one of the fastest uh, digital therapeutics players to ever get a product in reimbursability covering 40 million men is um, because we have been focused on one single product and um, 
And I think that was for the first one and a half years or so really very important. And then what we kind of in the last year, our second to third year, what we focused more on, we did not do anything in internationalization yet. Um, the thing what we focused then on is like going through different channels. And I think that's the way I think about this is like you have a product which works well. And before you even do your second product or third and uh, or go to a different market, for me, it was really important to capture uh, the market that we're in because it's already a huge market in it itself. Yeah. And then we scaled. So we have now three very important channels for us, which are, you know, like one on one inside really doctor sales. We have a we have a sales force that visits doctors that mm -hmm. educates them about our product and gets them to prescribe it. Um, right. We we have a second channel that's working well in terms of uh, actually uh, performance marketing, where we mm -hmm. you know inform a potential patients um, about the product and then get them to see a doctor. And then we have a third product with partnerships of you know. Uh, digital um, 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 uh, clinics that um, that have relationships to doctors that can prescribe uh, the product, right? And I think that's something that we've been spending a lot of time on right. to really wrap our heads around how to get these channels to work. Again, the the old adage that we we not only need to be amazing in product, but also great in distribution, and especially in in health tech distribution, uh, in any sector, but especially in, in health tech, it, it it is super complex to, to have yeah. distribution right, especially when you are starting uh, the company and you don't have yeah. the reputation of ten or twenty years uh, behind you, right? So yeah, yeah, and I think then with, with with the products, right? Like now that we have yeah. the second product. And the third in development is that I, I already see that adding a lot of complexity in so yeah. many different areas of the company, right? So like when right. you have your second product, all of a sudden, all your analytics, your all your analytics become so much more complicated, right. like, uh, you know, because you have to split uh, the revenue you get from the different products. You have to exactly. split the uh, the patients, uh, the studies, et cetera. And, and, and it's also a lot of distraction to the team. So I think... Even but though we're least, 70 people, it's the yeah. you know not easy to focus. But at least you you still have a fixed geo, which is not adding more variables at the moment. The channels might be the same for the different products, so which is great. Yes. You are already leveraging and having an ROI, an higher ROI per per channel because you don't have the same investment for every single product. You are already having kind of economies yeah. Uh, yeah. of scale. But agreed, uh, I, I like to multiply and I think that you just did a great exercise, which is to multiply the number of variables that you have in product, the number of variables that you have in channels, the number of variables that you have in markets, and then typically you have the number of businesses that you are operating simultaneously within yeah. one business. So if you, yeah. to, if you have too many variables, it becomes yeah. almost uh, impossible to manage, right? Right, and, and we're still not done, of course, with the first product even and like maximizing all the channels. And I think something that obviously now everyone and I think that's a good development cares a lot about profitability right so like that you know getting all your channels to be unit economic profitable and to really yeah. uh, scale within that constraint of being profitable really takes a lot of work and effort we will we are planning to internationalize um, probably still this year um, which will then be kind of adding the third 
layer of complexity, right. but we're very careful about doing that. And I think it has to make, um, first of all, really a lot of sense uh, for the business in terms of really doubling or, or tripling uh, your size. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm being very careful, you know, even with the funding that we have for it to really not do it too early because I think it's also quite easy to burn a lot of money uh, if you do it too soon and not do it in the right way. And it's curious to see, we, we had a recent episode about that, that uh, of course, opening a new market is a huge risk. The timing is super important. Also having the, the right resources, also to not trying to open multiple markets at, at the same time. Yes. And, and also we are seeing a new trend, which is that we also have seen multiple companies fail at that, but uh, it's been a nice trend, which is to acquire small companies already with a brand in that market, mm. but at a good price, still small, that we can mm. leverage in order to enter the market in a in a mm. better way. We know it's it's easy in theory than uh, in practice, but it's curious to see. Any hypothesis about the the new geographies? Is is it much more about if you can share, of course, at, at the moment uh, about European domination, opening the US uh, or opening more uh, exotic destinations as uh, Latin yeah. or uh, Southeast Asia? Yeah, um, I think, look, I think in the end, our patients all across the world have the same biology. So uh, exactly. we have proven product market fit. Um, um, so ultimately, of course, we want to serve uh, all patients uh, around the world. But as you said, we have to go really one country at a time. Um, for us, the, the, the most important thing is to have the right regulations in place that really enable um, a business model where, re where insurances reimburse the products and take over the costs for the patients. So we want to keep that business model. And here, I think um, right now, Europe is, is getting going through a, amazing um i think amazing for patients of all disease areas to amazing regulatory changes where germany kind of started now france is actually following suit offering a very similar framework to reimburse therapeutics belgium does it already denmark is uh, um, is, is quite far ahead so we really see a shift um in the in the regulatory side to really kind of enable these therapies. Um, and of course, the US is also moving ahead uh, in that sense. Um, I think, of course, the US is a huge market, exciting, but also expensive. Uh, I think that's uh, that's also clear. Um, so for us, it's uh, the next step will be Europe um, and or uh, the US. Uh, that's not finally decided, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make a decision, I think, in the next couple of months. Sounds exciting plans in, in both areas. Of course, the, the US being the largest uh, healthcare market to, in the world. Uh, Indeed. That's that's another bet. But uh, as we were yeah. discussing, timing uh, is, is really yeah. important. And also having the resources to really uh, be able to conquer the market. And it takes also some time to, to conquer a new market, right? So I think that exactly. uh, right, I also enjoy the way you are launching different products because when a product is becoming into more a mature stage in terms of scaling up, you are kind of doing a new bet in a company that in, in a in a product that is in a starting up uh, stage and that might need uh, one year or two years to to get into uh, scale up mode. Uh, and we never know; only the market will tell if if we, we were <laughs> right in our assumptions, right? <laughs> that's 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 true. Yeah. <laughs> 
and and but anyway, it it is really uh, amazing that you and uh, you have it on on your own LinkedIn that you reached a significant seven figure ARR, which would be around one million plus ARR in the it's first actually year quite after, a lot more <laughs> after market launch. So exactly because seven figure it could be from one to ten, <laughs> from one to nine, nine point it's, nine. It's, 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 it's a lot more than one million. Uh, yeah, it's a lot more. Which which is super incredible we know that a lot of health tech companies go through sometimes three years uh, with very limited uh, revenues and especially going through the clinical studies that you went through etc cetera, etc cetera. it it's it takes an investment it takes time to it, it does yeah yeah so which which is quite uh, amazing uh, what what you have done so far any tips there for other health tech founders uh, and for other founders how, how did you were able to generate revenue so quickly in a in a sector that that sometimes we see investors complaining that revenues don't grow as quickly as other sectors or other alternatives mm -hmm. for investment like SaaS yeah. um, and or a, a normal yeah. SaaS yeah. let's say because we are talking about SaaS as well. Yeah, what I firmly believe in, and here the things we are are changing so quickly in in that sector. I firmly believe you need to integrate into the existing healthcare system, system, meaning like not getting people to pay out of pocket for these kind of things, but really go into reimbursability. And I think that has been the key enabler for us. And we see revenues growing really quickly also in the, in the coming years and this year already. Um, and that requires, I think my tip would be, you need to be really, really nerdy about building a product that works and then spending enough time and getting the right people on board to get clinical studies done. Because ultimately, we we are like any pharmaceutical company, right? Like any biotech. They what a biotech on average takes ten years uh, to get something and to get a blockbuster into a, into a, into reimbursability, right? Um, and, and proving that it works. And I think here we can be faster but ultimately the way you need to think about these things is, is very much the same and and that's why um is you know medical clinical focus is, is really important and it distinguishes i think the products that make sense and work uh from those uh that don't and um, that's where you also then distinguish the revenue right so let, let's change a bit gears looking more for the leadership and team components of, of mm -hmm. your journey. So how is how did you build your founding team? So what are the skills that you have in, in your founding team? And now you, you said that you have almost, or you have 70 plus people uh, at, at this moment in the team, but how, how have you built your, your founding team so far? So uh, we have four founders, um, okay. and I think um, we have so I have myself um, and my co-CEO who are on the business and uh, fundraising business and commercialization, which you said before is also obviously very important. Right. Um, then I have a CTO um, who is building these uh -huh. these technical products, and then we have a chief medical officer, um, Cord, who has a you know one of the most famous, I guess, urologists from Europe, um, who really has that deep, um, deep expertise um, in urology and on the medical side. And I think in the end, you always need a combination of commercial, you need a uh, product and you need right. medical if, um, to found a successful um, company right. in, that in that area. Um, yeah. 
and sometimes we even see uh, that sometimes we are not able to combine product and technology in one seat. So some startups have a founding team of a, a CPO, a CTO. Uh, and, and then especially in health tech, it becomes very tricky because you need to have that medical component. We are seeing more and more startups with, with that medical seat plus the go-to-market seat it, it becomes almost a five team uh founding team uh, and it, yeah. we know how difficult it is to be able to find the right timing for all the founders to come together uh and and we know that it's difficult to, to be able to combine that timing for two uh yeah not to mention I, three four or five <laughs> it is true and I, I i mean i they, there's obviously a lot of you know partners who are at an earlier stage of their uh, founding uh, career who then kind of talk to me and I think that the key thing that I see people struggling with at the very beginning is that finding the right uh, founding, founding team. team. So I'm, I'm very thankful, very happy that our team found each other and we've been together on that journey for, as you said, almost three years now and really um, love working with each other. Um, and then I think in terms of scaling, right? So I think what's what we always think about we, we when we do founder offsites um, is really kind of what are the skills that we don't have, and yeah. where we really don't have skills, we need to hire someone, right? And, and for example, that is uh, the regulatory area, which is also uh, important right. if you build these kind of uh, businesses. It, it's uh, uh, marketing, like very specific marketing expertise. Um, so I think that's kind of how we went about, you know, thinking about what kind of hires uh, we need to to be successful um, as a company. Right. And we know that this transition from the founding team to the leadership team is not a, a easy one. It's also an exciting one because you start having more people and, uh, yeah. and, and more specialization in the leadership team and in the in the next layers. But uh, how has been this evolution and how has been the evolution of your role as a CEO, as the company scale to 70 plus uh, team members? Yeah, I think, I think actually, first of all, I think that's something that I love about founding a company because it also keeps your own experience so exciting because the skills that you need to you know bring to the company they really evolve over time so even though you're working on the same topic you're actually doing a completely different job and that kind of that change in itself is mm -hmm. uh, is not easy but it's also exciting um and i think well first of all you start at the beginning every founder needs to be super hands-on you need to do everything yourself and i think for me i reflect the the, the key challenge in in getting from being a founder team with maybe 10 or so employees where like ultimately a lot of decisions are taken by the founder team themselves is to enable, first of all, hire a great leadership team, but then also enable this team to take, um, to take many decisions, not all decisions, but many decisions by themselves, right? And I think that has a big change component uh, because you know some some people might be used to uh, really you know talk through every decision right. with the founder um, and then that changes and and um, you, you, I really try to um, instill this decision making mindset uh, within the company because ultimately if the people that don't do that you become a bottleneck and that's not good for the company right um, I think that that to me 
was and still is um, one of the the biggest challenges in, in you know going from that I know 20 30 people to 50 plus people right and, and typically the leadership team has five to seven members having four founders and assuming that they are all uh, still with leadership team uh, seats which which doesn't doesn't necessarily is some of the founders prefer to not be uh, in the executive team at a certain point and prefer to be more expert in their fields and, and support the company in other way it is already four out of five or four out of seven which is almost the majority uh, which again can create two teams right the founding team and the rest of yeah. the of leadership team it, and, and and that's something i'm trying to combat right so i i really want to kind of you know move away from you know there's a founder team and there's a leadership rather team rather than saying like there is one team which is more than four people um yeah. that leads uh exactly. that leads the company and i think here but also as a founder you have to also discipline yourself because you're also kind of used at the beginning to take all of these decisions so it is something where you also need to then tell yourself like okay i i, I uh, trust other people to make decisions and even so sometimes you might not agree baby. sometimes <laughs> you might not even agree with what is being decided but then you also i think need to take a step back and and uh, you know let other people get into the driver seats in certain area um which um yeah which which isn't easy i uh, trying to do my best but uh, definitely um, also a process yeah absolutely and especially it's separating and sometimes that's why the executive team is also a good term because it separates that the founders don't need to be uh, executives or don't need to be taking care of, of executive topics when they meet. And I think it's also important to keep their relationship, uh, to keep them united and, and uh, passionate about the purpose and the reason why they started the company and why they are together to solve this big vision yeah. and have much more discussions about that. Uh, mm. We still have the culture that, that we want are we still passionate about it right uh, are we still having fun yeah. uh, making this happen how is our relationship and let the executive team topics for when the founders are in the executive team as a member of the executive team mm -hmm. to be able to decide more uh, stuff related to to the business itself right yeah exactly yeah, yeah. And something also quite unique that we are seeing more and more happening and, and we know why it's it's very lonely at the top and being just mm -hmm. a single CEO is, is super an art job. So if we are able to split responsibilities at the CEO role, it will be much less uh, lonely. So how, how do you how has been your experience with the co-CEO model? Yeah. Uh, how do you split responsibilities? A any tips for other uh, founders that are thinking about applying a co-CEO model yeah. to to their companies? Yeah, I think so. So first of all, I think um, the most important thing that is required uh, for this to work well is that um, you and your co-CEO, like so, so my co-CEO Tilo and Isa, we know each other for ten years. You you have to have very deep. Um, very deep trust and a very strongly established established relationship to really work together and, and trust each other uh, uh, blindly. And um, I think if, if you have that, um, then it can be really uh, a good model, which it is also in our case. So, um, but but yes, first of all, I think some principles for me is like that's something we spend also time on from the start. You have, always have to have very clear 
split in responsibilities that also need to be clear to your team, right? Who do I approach for which topic? Right. And uh, that is something that um, I think we, we did quite well when we continue to review how we split, split our responsibilities as the company grows and as like yep. as you know priorities um, might, might change. So I think that's something um, that is um, that is super important to get uh, to get done well. And um, maybe the other thing is that yeah, when you get that done, I think then you make in the end really good decisions um, because sometimes. The most important decisions, of course, we talk about it and then getting, yeah. you know, a different perspective on things and being able to kind of uh, play back and forth thoughts right. ultimately, I think, in most cases leads to better decision making. And in very uncertain environments and a lot of decisions that you don't have data to back them up, uh, to, make the, to back them up and you need to come with your intuition. It's good when you have two people to be able to, you know, yeah. also take ownership of the responsibility. Uh, and those are kind of the founder, more founder or co-CEO decisions is, is the decisions that um, you, you can't really take based out of, of the evidence that you have as a leadership team. Someone needs to take the lead and make a decision and uh, test it out and, and then uh, uh, correct it if it, if it was wrong uh, or yeah. uh, take the credits <laughs> if it if it is right. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what... And usually um, it's more give the credits to people when, when we are yeah. right and, and take the responsibility when we are wrong, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's... I think what, what helps me a lot in terms of decision-making is to really split between reversible and non-reversible decisions. So yeah. the way we work is that, you know, reversible decisions, they should be taken quickly. So we move ahead and yeah. then like, if it's if it was a shitty decision, well, that happens and then you kind of reverse it and, and then go forward again. Non-reversible decisions such as, I don't know, I mean, every decision in the very long term is reversible, but like there are some decisions like, you know, do you go to France or or US or these kind of decisions yeah. that are have a huge impact on the company? These are the decisions that you really need to spend time and talk about, and then the reversible decisions they just need to happen. And I think that's um, that's generally true for the entire company and trying to instill this kind of mindset in, in people's minds. Moving to kind of more of the fundraising uh, front that everyone likes to to talk about. <laughs> so uh, you have raised last uh, June uh, 7.2 million uh, A round, right? And uh, and before also a, a, a small pre-seed and uh, and uh, and the seed round. And then written 15k in July of 20 and and then 1.2 million in February of 21 if if I have the data right from yeah. Crunchbase. <laughs> um, um, in in that sense, any any tips that you'd like to to share uh, or about your unique story, we know that every single story is quite unique, but any any patterns, any tips that uh, are already with you for the upcoming uh, yeah. rounds that you'd like to share with other founders? Right. Yeah, I think the first learning is indeed, if you ask 10 founders and VCs about how to approach fundraising, you get uh, 11 different answers. Um, yeah, exactly. So it is, uh, in, in the end, I think everyone needs to find their own way of doing this. And then some do it, I guess, better than others. Um, but um, there are some topics that are found to be universally true and that my experience are very important. The first one is really 
um, the personal relationships are so important to your new investors. Um, so I think uh, in the end, if you invest in a startup, there's so much uncertainty. So you really have to have the trust in the founder team that this team is able to deliver. And the way you build up this trust, I think, is uh, through relationships. So what I always try to is kind of be in touch with investors, even, you know, if they're a Series B or like late stage investor, if they're kind of interested in your company, like keeping that conversation uh, open so that when you go into fundraising mode, you will not start from scratch, but rather, you know, you can really build on an existing relationship. And that yeah. was, I think, in particular during COVID times, right, in which I, I founded Kranos, it was hard because uh, we weren't able to meet. I was um, not so, thinking about it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> there was a lot of uh, virtual meetings. Um, but still, you know, that works. But I think now as we go back to more normality, um, it's it's important to spend um, also in person times to build up this relationship. And that's my my first learning, and I think the second one is, um, and I learned that throughout um, the multiple rounds I did is, is um, I think you need to be you really need like either you're like when you decide to fundraise a round, then you need to be completely focused on that, um, which also means you need to step back from everyday business and make it a um, uh, competitive. That's when having a yeah. co CEO model helps, right? As well, that that, that helps indeed because you have That's basically double interest. capacity, right? <laughs> but like when you go into this process, you need to make it with very clear timelines, also for potential investors. Um, and, and this way, you know, like also make it a competitive process, right? Because other, from my experience, investors will always have an incentive. Um, kind of to like, drag on the round a little bit if they feel uh, they have the time in it, right? because they can get more information I guess about the company so that's uh, I think the the second point from my point of view a very clear timeline very very focused process yeah and and you said that you were already one year after so June uh, June of uh, July of 21 already with 1 million uh, plus in in revenue uh, which would allow you to, especially in the US, to make a much larger round, uh, seed round. So, yeah. did you did you go on purpose to not raise so much money and raising a one point two million uh, round at the time? And and I remember that at the time the market, yeah, we were still through the different waves of of the pan uh, pandemic. Yeah. We never know when was the, uh, yeah. because sometimes we have a, a lot of hype and other times uh, a lot of fear right so the pandemic was a kind of crazy uh, waves of excitement yeah. and yeah. depression so so we never know uh, where, yeah. when you are where you are in the cycle uh, but were you also kind of uh, did you try to be capital efficient in, in the capital that you raised and be careful with valuations because we are seeing some founders now unfortunately struggling um with the valuations that they were able to raise before the markets uh, at this yes. direction, right? Yeah. No, I think we've been, especially if you compare it to some of the US big players in the industry, exactly. like Pair Therapeutics, et cetera, like we've been way more capital efficient uh, than these right. than these kind of companies. And I think also, look, when we raised our seed, we, we basically had a product, but we had no reimbursability. So we had also basically at that time, zero revenue 
Um, and I think that's kind of typical. Um, if you um, if you are in, in healthcare, it's the same, right? Like a biotech company will have no revenue for 10 years. Um, yeah. So you need to raise a lot on the product and, and your vision that you have for that product. That's I think true. now that we basically have this very strong revenue and we have the first products in the market, um, of course, our next round uh, will be an interesting one. Okay. <laughs> I can see given the the momentum, uh, I'm expecting a, a very large uh, B round, uh, but but trying, especially depending on the ambition that we were talking before, what would be the international expansions, the new product to be launched, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Amazing. Any any final thoughts before we go to the last segment? Uh, Jens, any other topic that we didn't discuss that you'd like to highlight um, to, to other founders that are going through the same journey that you just did until now? Um, yes, we we talked about it holistically. Uh, I think uh, well, it's, uh, to me, I just it's an exciting time. I love what we're doing. I love personally love um, being in that role. Uh, and I just can recommend to anyone who is on the verge of doing this uh, to do it. That's that's great. Uh, and to, so let's go to the last segment of the show. Uh, Jens, if you would have the opportunity to have a coffee with yourself uh, in July of 2020, when you started, uh, founded Cranus Health, what advice would you offer to your younger Jens? Um, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is just to um, do things and don't overthink. Uh, so I think at the beginning um, of my founder career, sometimes I really tried to think through things from many different angles and try to come up with the perfect solution. And I think instead, the way I try to do these things now is to um, you know, accept that anyway, things are going to change so much in the next couple of, of, of months that you would probably have to throw away 90% of what you decided anyhow. Um, so I think, uh, you know, focusing on that um, is is important. Oh, and okay. uh, eating healthy. I think that that is also a good advice to my younger self. <laughs> I love that point, right? Not, not becoming uh, the first and the second. I was talking more about, uh, about the first, which is not becoming too attached to our convictions and our beliefs, right? So having more an iterative mindset, and especially as founders, we have... Uh, we are convicted, we are obsessed about the problem and the potential solution for that problem, about the purpose, about the vision, right? That's why we are able to be resilient and, and keep going mm. when when mm. life and business uh, sends us big problems and big rocks <laughs> in yeah. our direction and we stay there and, and the majority that happens know, many times. go away. <laughs> <laughs> and Indeed. what are you the most proud of on your journey so far? Um, I think it's building up a team of people um, that is really mission-driven. I think that's what I really love about Kranos and the people that we have, um, the many people that we have. I think we really attracted people who are passionate about, um, about our mission of solving men's health issues that no one talks about. Um, I think this is a generally a great advantage if you build a health tech company compared to, let's say to a you know some b2b SaaS backend product yeah. that might be commercially very exciting but that people don't understand that intuitively and i think that's something i'm, I'm really proud of um our team yeah and coming out to 
like this podcast or whatever it is and, and being able to share your your mission and purpose i, I feel that's it, it's an honor right to be able to yeah, that, contribute that's true. and, and, and I, i'm nice very humbled by that indeed <laughs> and the worst advice ever received it um, I think, first of all, you get a lot of bad advice along the way, and uh, it's, it's not always easy to distinguish bad advice from good advice. Exactly. I guess the worst advice ever was uh, um, uh, to learn playing guitar. I, my parents kind of <laughs> advised me to do that, and I just suck at it and practice for many years, and I'm still not good. And uh, yeah, I think I I had to learn that uh, that this is definitely not an area in my life in which I will ever excel. <laughs> Again, we, we come back to the to the previous reflection, right? Sometimes we need to skip something because as, again, as, as founders, we have this obsession that we will fight until the end. Yeah, we, exactly. we will go through that, right? And, yeah. <laughs> and we were discussing that we yeah. we rescheduled this episode several times and when we yeah. were starting, now we can tell the story. Uh, power went off that it happens maybe once <laughs> in a decade <laughs> so uh, so and we are still here and let's go to the resources uh, yeah. favorite book business or non-business you decide um favorite novel i love armor towels um beautiful writing storytelling it's kind of he really absorbs me into a different world with his novels and i think to me that's very relaxing amazing and favorite movie or series? First answer, I guess, Breaking Bad, uh, probably still one of the best written series of all time. I loved it. And a little bit less known, maybe Genius. Uh, it's a great Netflix show that kind of follows famous people throughout their life. Um, Albert Einstein or Pablo Picasso and really kind of uh -huh. shows it from multiple angles. So also like the flaws that these people had. And I think that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite insightful. I need to check that out. I love biographies. So, yes. and favorite podcasts, excluding this one. <laughs> is that a trick question? Uh, no, I, I, I think <laughs> I, know, uh, I know that's now you don't have too many options. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I think they're all in podcasts are with Chamath, Jason Sachs, and Friedberg. I think that's a very yeah, uh, especially for founders. I think a very um, I think they discuss really important topics um, and have a quite high level view on the market. Just the name is all in or all in yeah, one. All in, yeah, all in. Yeah, uh, it's something I, the one podcast, I guess, I listen to uh, every week. Uh, Super every interesting. Day. Also entertaining, right? So the, the dynamic, yeah. the... I mean, the sometimes piece. the guys tend to talk a little bit too much, but I think it's, uh, <laughs> no, it's very entertaining. Yeah, I okay. like it. Because sometimes we also want to to learn the stories, but also to make it interesting. I think that that's a yeah. difficult part in any of these shows, right? Is to make yeah. people have fun and and learning and yeah. at the same time. Because yeah. we, we already yeah. have so many boring things to do in yeah. our days that uh, if we are not having fun as well, uh, it becomes difficult to to keep following Indeed. Uh, Indeed. the episode. Yes, it has been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for for making the time. And wish you all the luck for, for the next uh, chapters. And you are always invited to come back to share the progress. Thank you, Mike. It's great being here. And to our community, thanks for being on that side. We keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life a little bit easier as you scale up your business. See you soon and keep scaling.